Welcome to the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast with psychologist Dr. Doreen Downing. Listen in as Doreen interviews people who felt they didn't have a voice or who suffered extreme speaking anxiety. You'll hear stories about how they struggled to speak up, what they did to find their authentic voice, and the confidence they now feel to speak up and make an impact. If you want to get started right away to find your voice, download Doreen's free 7-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. And now, here is Doreen. Hi, this is Dr. Doreen Downing, and I'm a psychologist, and I host the Find Your Voice, Change Your Life podcast. And here, the guests get to have an opportunity to give some insight to you, the listeners, about what it means to find your voice. And it could be anything from, well, feeling like something happened like traumatic in your family or somewhere along the line, but it could also be just getting out into the work world and feeling like I don't belong here or (laughs) feeling like you've been muffled in some way. So there's lots of stories and this is We're now into over 80 episodes, and I am really, really happy to continue to be continuing to interview people. And today is my new friend, actually. Uh, We've just met through a networking event, and this is Candy Motsek. Is that how you say last name? Exactly. Yep, you've got it just right. Hi, Candy. Well, I have a bio, and I usually like to read it so that I get some sense of uh, what is your current, you know, your expertise and so what you're doing currently. So I'll just go ahead and read that. Sounds great. Good. Candy is a best-selling author, podcast host, and this is a podcast host of the show, She Coaches Coaches. And she's also life and business coach for coaches. That makes sense that you would have a podcast for coaches. (laughs) (laughs) Candy helps smart people start successful coaching businesses. And she believes that coaching transforms lives and that being a coach is a calling. Ooh, I just put my hand over my heart because that is so true. (laughs) She helps coaches get unstuck and feel more confident so they can play bigger, sign clients and create more meaningful success. She is a recovering corporate executive and engineer who combines practical strategy and mindset in her calming, unique approach. Oh, Candy, already there were a couple of items here that I just so relate to. I love calming, unique approach. Uh, that, That seems like any kind of, you know, if we're holding people who are trying to get better, they have to face some things that uh, are in the way and we need to help them be calm. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Doreen, just I wanted to thank you for inviting me to be on the show. Really looking forward to the conversation and also just to where it goes, where, you know, where it organically flows to. So thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And I'm glad you note that it is organic. I don't ask specific questions. That's what I think makes people keep coming back is they don't know what's going to happen and they don't know what I'm going to ask. But usually, my dear, I, <laughs> I always I always start because that's what I've been drawn to in my life as psychology is go, hmm, 
Where do people start? And so I always like to just give a sense of your early life, like where you grew up and what your family was and just any kind of, if there's anything that comes out about voice there, if not, we'll pick it up later, but just uh, kind of a, a, a snapshot of where you grew up and what was happening. Yeah, and so I'm Canadian, um, and I grew up just outside of Vancouver, um, and that's where I still live. So I'm one of the few people that, you know, was born in Vancouver and grew up here and still live here as an adult. And for me, in early childhood, um, my family was one of very, very few mixed marriages. So my dad was Black from the Caribbean. And my mom is white and mostly Scottish. And we were middle class, upper middle class, but it is still very different having a mixed marriage back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And um, so there was a lot of uh, uh, people didn't know quite what to do with us. I mean, there were some people who were harsh, but most of the time, I think it was they didn't know quite what to do. Um, And so I never really fit in. I mean, that was, I was a little too brown for this and not quite, not quite black. And there was very few black people, um, very few Negro in people in Vancouver, like not, not even a half a percent of the population. So I was an oddity. Yeah. Well, that is fabulous to have right out of the gate. <laughs> <laughs> situation that uh, is so unique. And I just have a question about your dad, who is Caribbean. How did he get all the way up to Canada? Well, there's a lot of, um, because a lot of the Caribbean was um, part of the Commonwealth, they would go to England, um, and in some cases to Canada, and in some cases to the US as well, to go to university. So he came from a very well-to-do family, and this was part of the growing up as you went away to a proper university to get a good education. But then he stayed. He stayed here instead of going back home. And that was, you know, that was different. That was a courageous move for him. Ooh, courageous. I love that word. My body just had a little shiver because (laughs) obviously if he's courageous and he's your dad, there must have been some kind of passing on of courage to you. And do you think that that's something that came from your dad? Very much. Um, And also both from my mom and dad. I mean, my mom tells stories of she um, was longtime self-employed and she was also an accountant and worked at one of the top accounting firms here in Vancouver. Um, And she was fired because it wasn't, they couldn't stand the idea that their clients would see that one of their employees was part of a relationship like that. So very courageous on her part too. It would have been very easy for her to find another guy, you know, like she didn't have to do that just as he didn't have to, you know, stay here. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of courage for sure. Mm, Beautiful. And then when you were uh, the little one, (laughs) you know, being part of that family system and then going off to, environments like schools where there is some kind of prejudice and some not fitting in how 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 did you cope um i think that that i i'm quite a quiet person and i think that i got even more quiet um i'm adept at watching 
You know, I watch the situation, I watch the dynamics, um, but I'm not one to sort of jump in a lot. And I think that that was magnified because, you know, when you're when you're a little kid, you don't quite fit in. So you sit back a little bit instead of continuing to try, right? Yes. Yeah. I can relate to that in terms of well, being a psychotherapist and learning. Uh, well, I didn't learn in college how to listen. I think I learned in my early family uh, to sit back and watch the dynamics and uh, listen to what was not being said. Actually, that's that's how I think I what I bring to psychology. My practice is um, beyond what people can even express yet. Hmm. Yeah. And the um, the energy of the space, right? Ooh, say more about that. Well, it it's like, um, you know, when you go into a room and there's been a conversation happening and all conversation stops and you kind of walk into the door and you look around and you know something happened. You can feel it, right? And so it's, you know, that's sort of an extreme version, but just to watch the energy of the space. And as you said, what's not being said there's you know there's a lot to it right mm-hmm. yeah i i like that sense of just entering into a moment and then being uh, sensitive to it i guess you might say or alert or uh, conscious but that stepping in feels like that's probably one of your gifts it is and also being calm you know that just to be a calming influence. You know, in the years where I did work in corporate, one of my, I don't know, I don't, not a job description, but sort of characteristics was uh, herding cats. I'm, I'm the perfect person for herding cats, right? <laughs> or, so that, um, I think the, that feeling of calm is, I think I was born with it, but then I grew it because it, it worked, right? And, yes. and it was safe and it made other people feel safe. And that created safety for me too. I get it. I get it so much. Right? I can't tell you how, how I've never felt like I'm talking to myself in the mirror, Candy. This is really because I <laughs> all the time about my presence and my calmness. In fact, I was on somebody else's podcast today and about finding your voice and they were interviewing me and they said, well, when somebody's so calm and they want to be more energized, how do you do that? That was one of the questions I just got today. <laughs> how do you, and well, and do you need to do that? Right. Oh, like, I, I, you're gonna, right. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm kind of randomly thinking about that. Go ahead. Like, yeah. Like only if there's something sort of, I don't know, impure or false about the calmness. But if that is where you're home, then why do you need to be other, right? Like that's the, um, you know, sort of the question that many introverts are asked, why are you so quiet? And, you know, the flip question is, well, why are you talking so much, right? Like nobody would think to ask that question, right? So right. just makes me wonder, just makes me wonder. Well, again, I that was my close to my answer. I just said be more of who you can be because the more you are in that particular kind of energy, the more power you have, right? It's because it, if you're trying to be something else, it's not truly uh, lined up with where your true strength is. So mm. that <laughs> just when you said that. I just, <laughs> 
Well, this is wonderful. So let's keep going. You uh, you said something about going off. Well, before we get to corporate, um, there had to be a, a stretch of time, high school. You probably found some things you love to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, always. Um, you know, I had I had good friends, but it's there's something that is it's hard to describe when you're the only person that looks like you. You know, and so again, there was always that. It, it it it's just so normal to how I live. I'm used to being the only person that looks like me. These days, things have changed. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I mean, I still live outside of Vancouver. I've been married for many many years, and my children are adults, and they were one of the few mixed race kids in their schools as well. So even though it's all these years later, it's still it's still a theme. And we'll see what happens with that. Um, so lots of good friends in high school. And I'm just thinking, really, I, I think, again, it's that you lean on your strengths. I was good academically. Um, I was always a kind person. And so there was always a place for me in that way. Mm-hmm. And and still that that other, you know, that feeling of the other. Where would you say in high school, if you had a shining moment or you were shining, where, what would that have been? Mm, I don't know. Um, I spent a lot of time in alternate academic programs, sort of, you know, the more um, self-directed. And so, you know, these were small programs with 30 or 40 kids, and we would be together as a cohort for years, you know, so we got we got quite close. So I don't know that there's a place that I really shone. It was just that I started to grow into being more myself, mm-hmm. um, just more comfortable being myself. Oh, yes. As opposed to trying to get the grades and fit in and uh, yeah. you know put on the pom-poms. and <laughs> <laughs> That was never me. <laughs> Uh-huh. But but I get the idea of of having more support for growing who you truly are and whatever, you know, at least having that value in whatever programs that you had early on. Well, then you popped into college somewhere, I guess. Is that? Yeah. Um, so I went to university. I, I always wanted to be a therapist. Oh, interestingly. Um, but that was not, it just, it, it didn't work out. Um, there was a few careers that were careers that were acceptable. And in those days, being a therapist was still a new, it was a new field. So there was, you could be a lawyer, you could be an accountant, you could be a doctor, or you could be an engineer. So I chose engineer. <laughs> that was my that was my menu, um, and so I did that. I did my engineering degree, and it was great, interesting work. Gosh, it was interesting work, um, but I never I never really went out and worked in the field. Um, most of what I did was going to be um, take a helicopter half an hour outside of a small northern town and get dropped in the mid- middle of the wilderness for the day. And then they would pick you up at the end of the day. Um, and that, I wanted to have a family. My husband and I were together. And it just it just wasn't conducive for having a family and a, and a together kind of life. So that went on its way. Yeah. I see you looking at me like, how odd. <laughs> no, no. It, it, but what a job. You know, I mean, yeah. it, 
was that the engineering? Like you had to do some kind of, I, because engineering, okay, field work, that must be it. Because engineering to me is, you know, designing and. (laughs) Oh, okay. So the area that I specialized in was geological. I love rocks and rock formations and geology and geography and nature. And so that's, that's why the field work was part of that. Uh Part of, part of what you valued, but then actually doing it, there was a reality. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So then you, but there's a huge transition from engineering to coaching of all things. But I I just do want to comment on the um, being drawn to take, well, being a psychotherapist is, you know, like something natural about you being able to be in a transformative environment, creating uh, safety and some kind of, uh, I call it a holding environment or an inspired environment where people grow. And um, that that seems to relate to this high school thing that you were in, you know, people learning and growing. So I'm starting to feel a thread. <laughs> yeah, sort of this through line, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and I agree. I, I, you know, as a, I mean, as a coach, I refer to that as holding space, right? Mm-hmm. So holding that space for the client to come in and get curious and look at their assumed perspectives and then decide how they want to live their life. And that is exactly the same kind of thing that you were describing. That's creating a safe space for people to come into, which Mm -hmm. is so much fun. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. I think we're both uh, natural at it and it's our element. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So let's talk about voice and just open up with that because I've done a little bit of journeying through your life and you know, seeing you as somebody who held her voice back a little bit, at least when you didn't feel like you could fit in, became more of an observer. And so how, what do you, how do you think voice, your voice uh, developed and where did you find it? So I, yeah. So I think I, I agree that I would have held back and, you know, and I'm sure that I still do. What I found is that it was it shifted from holding back to because I didn't say a lot, people actually valued what I had to say. And so I think that shifted quite quickly in my career and in university to not, um, it's not so much the holding back, but being, what's the word? Hmm. Speaking with discretion, Ooh. you know? Right. So it's just not having to say too much. But when I had something to say, people were thought that that was useful. And so then, you know, that became, it, it became sort of more my natural way. And I'm still the same way. I'm still quite quiet. And people say, what do you have to say, Candy? And I'll be like, and then I have something to say. <laughs> that's, that's it, right? Oh, yes. I'm so glad you said that because I'm sure that listeners just found tremendous value out of what you just said. And already today, when I've asked you a couple of questions, you have this beautiful pause and it feels like, oh, what's going to come out next is real. (laughs) Thank you. That's so kind. (laughs) I was actually thinking it's the she's trying to figure out what she thinks. (laughs) That's still part of it. It's what true. you think and what you feel and you want it to line up with truth and be authentic. That's that's right. what I'm enjoying this so much with you yeah, today. Me too. 
There's there's a couple of things that you mentioned that I want to already because you said this in what you sent me is something about thoughts that that, you know, when you're finding your voice, that thoughts can get in the way, something like that. Hmm. The negative thoughts, especially. I think that that's just, you know, for me, I believe that we all have some kind of negative mind shatter. Mm -hmm. Um, And the way that I approach that is instead of fighting it, I remind myself and I remind my clients the same thing that really, even though it's kind of irritating and frustrating and, you know, maybe filled with self-doubt, the real reason behind it is to is is a pure reason you know is to protect you and to keep you safe in where you are and so when you know that it comes from a place of like a a, a good place you know a place of trying to protect you then it becomes you don't have to fight it as much right it's like it's trying to help it has a true motive that's really helpful so then i don't have to struggle with it so much i just can allow it to be you know well- that if there's any deep, deep wisdom that that to me captures it right there. The, and I understand that approach too. Exactly. That's what I, I would say is you know, fighting it is making it wrong and it's a part of you. And I, I like the empathy that you have for the negative <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, we don't treat ourselves with enough compassion and empathy. So any little bit that we can get is just a great step forward, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, one other word that you put in some of the work that I asked you to fill out prior to our time together here was perfectionism. Because in a way, you feel like, to me, you feel so accepting in that perfect feels like a different kind of driver. And um, but somewhere it showed up in you because you mentioned it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I still, I still experience perfectionism at times. It's, you know, it's my dance, right? It's like, I know it's there. I know that it, it it's the same as for that mind shatter. I know that it is trying to get me to do the best and kind of in so like in so doing instead of allowing me just to do the best that I can. It wants this unattainable perfect. And again, it's just this, it's, it's trying to do it nicely to hold me back is it it feels hard to describe sometimes, but if the idea is that you have to be perfect before it can be released and you really want to do your best, then it is trying, it's trying to help you. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, it's just that releasing that there is no such thing as perfect. and and allowing you know allowing that even if there was it it would not be perfect like there is nothing uh, vulnerable and human and warm and connecting about perfection right like uh, nobody cares about that perfect hero we want the one that has the weird quirk so <laughs> then we get to be that person too <laughs> Well, that's partly what this podcast is all about, you know, <laughs> yeah. you unzipping and showing how you aren't perfect. Uh, otherwise, it would just be a series of um, famous speakers who are talking about how great they are. 
Yeah. <laughs> Very dull. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And not inspiring and not human. So we're almost out of time, but you did mention, you just mentioned it right now, but also in what you wrote to me was dance. There was something about dancing that, uh, I don't know, it feels like dancing has something to do with voice for mm. you. Oh, yeah. Actually, that's really interesting. I had forgotten about that connection. Um, and I and I realized that we're just about out of time. But when I was about 40, I took up ballet as an adult, having never danced before. Um, so I took up ballet and a whole bunch of other forms, too. But we'll just talk about ballet. Um, and my ballet teacher was a very unusual woman. She looked at me and she could tell that I was practicing. I was practicing at home and none of the other adults were. And I was really keen. And she said, why don't you come to class? And so for years, like maybe eight years, I went to class with teenagers, 40, 42, 44, 46 years old. And so I would stand at the bar and do all the same work that the teenagers would do within, you know, within my limited age and and uh, skill set. Um, and it was the most amazing thing to move your body with music. That is a voice in itself. And the, um, you know, one of my real values is, is thriving and challenging and striving. And so to be given the gift of first off, being able to actually dance with these young women, there were no um, men, no boys in the class, but to dance with these young women just were was fascinating because it gave me such hope for the future. These were amazing people, amazing, smart, lovely people. Fourteen years old, fifteen years old, right? Um, and then with the support, I went and I did quite a number of the Royal Academy of Dance exams. Um, I think I did five exams. They're all solo performances. And I even got to the point where I was dancing on point, but all just this voice of using music to move your body and to express yourself. And it's like a different language, you know, that, that we're just not used to, right? It was super. Oh, thank you for sharing that. That's mesmerizing <laughs> to imagine. Fun. Yeah. Super, super fun, right? There's yeah. nothing like watching a 50-year-old woman on stage. <laughs> well it's uh hey we go we're full circle right now my dear courage yes right yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) how to just tell us um a little bit about i know i read in the beginning coaches uh you coach coaches a little bit about your work and how to find you Okay. Um, The easiest way to find me is through my podcast. And that's perfect because people are listening and watching. Um, And my podcast is called She Coaches Coaches, and it is a tongue twister. Um, And I'm on all uh, all the different platforms. How I work with people primarily these days is one on one only. And most of the people that I work with are um, successful adults who are tired of waking up in the middle of the night and wondering what they want to be when they grow up and giving themselves permission to do something that they would just just love love to do. And so I help them get started and grow their practice. And uh, it's so rewarding. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's been uh, very rewarding 
having an experience with you today and having this brief journey through time and uh, appreciate you so much, Candy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Good. Thank you for being with us today for this episode of Find Your Voice, Change Your Life. Each person during interviews shares what has helped them find their voice. You can learn from these guests and find your voice so you can be confident to speak up and speak out. And remember to download Doreen's free seven-step guide to fearless speaking at Doreen7steps.com. We hope you enjoyed the show and we'll return next time. Until then, goodbye for now.